Good morning, family. We are. <laughs> My apologies. So I drove here about eight years ago um, for a weekend, and at the time, I like really wanted to go to Iceland and help with the church there. Like that was my, my long-term vision of what would be valuable, what would be needed. Like I was like, that's it. That is the dream. Like God has put it in my heart. I must go there. Um, and so Jim being someone who's had a lot of missionary experience, Rob was like, hey, go, go, go uh, spend some time with Jim. Talk to him a little bit about it. So I drove up here. Uh, and you guys were meeting at SUNY Purchase at the time. And, you know, I attended service. And afterwards, I, I went up and I talked to him. And Jim's response was, was so simple. He didn't give me a, you know, 17-step plan to get there. Uh, he also didn't call my dream foolish or meaningless. He instead said, like, hey, grow where you're planted. And, and that advice has really stuck with me as I've now ended up in many different places and many different situations because th the input was so clear. Like, it doesn't matter where you are. It's your choice of how you're going to respond to that situation. And if I was ever going to be the man that would someday do something like that, I needed to focus on the needs that were right in front of me, on the people in my own neighborhood, on the people that I had relationships with, that mattered, that God wanted to save just as desperately as someone in some far-off land. So, so that advice has always really stuck with me, and I thought it would be awesome to get to talk about that a little bit today and really dig into that. So, so thank you so much for, for giving me some of your time and attention this morning. Uh, it's really a joy to be here with my family. Let's start in Philippians 2, 12 through 18, and, and read a little bit that will help frame this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation." Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Man, what a promise Philippians 2 offers to us, right? This concept that we would somehow become blameless, pure in front of God, who, the God who provides life and creates all things would somehow consider us his children. It's, it's this amazing thing, but it's also quite challenging. I mean, look at those six words. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. I, I think it's our natural reaction to grumble at that sentence. <laughs> like, it, it's like, that's pretty tough. And the slower you read it, the more challenging and convicting it becomes. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. And, you know, I, I grew up a grumbler. <laughs> like, 
that was me as a child. Like, there was no way to get around it. And, you know, I grew up in a God-fearing home, and my parents really worked hard to instill faith and, and kind of promote that which was good. But in my own heart, regardless, I ended up so entitled. I just expected things to, to work out well for me. I, I hated the concept of actual hard work in any regard. You know, my, uh, my dad, he had a construction business, and sometimes I would work for him in the summers. And often, you know, he'd give me a very specific task, like, hey, you need to do this. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. And so begrudgingly, I would do my task, and then I would seek out a little shade, plop myself down, start sipping on a soda, and <laughs> he would come by, and he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, why are you on the ground right now? You're here working. And it just, like, it didn't cross my mind that when you finish something, it's appropriate to then go figure out what's the next thing to do. So, yeah, I, I just didn't get that concept. Um, but it was that, that same type of entitlement breeding into everything was how I thought. And, you know, I just expected to be rich. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a dream. It was just an expectation. Like, that's how it will be. Um, and because of this, I made such foolish choices over and over again throughout my, my adolescent, my teen years, like I, I continued to do things that just didn't make any sense because I was so convinced that stuff was going to be okay. Um, I only applied to one college uh, that had a very low acceptance rate, and, you know, there was, it was so foolish of me to do so, and I was just like, well, that's where I'm going. Um, now I look back, and I'm like, where were the adults? Like, who was, who was helping me out? It, it was like, yeah, let that kid think that. But honestly, if I really think back, people definitely advised me, like, hey, you're kind of being foolish right now. And I, I just didn't care. And, uh, yeah, that, that same entitlement formed my view of Christianity. I had boiled down Christianity in my head to God loves me and wants me to be happy. God loves me and wants me to be happy. And that's not the total message of Christianity. Yes, God loves us. Yes, he's working for our good. Yes, he, he desires us to, you know, have good things. He de our happiness is not his primary concern. Our entitled view where we wouldn't work hard or do anything and just get and receive, that's not <laughs> the point of Christianity. Um, but, yeah, that view of Christianity, it didn't, it didn't stop me from becoming more and more prideful. It didn't confront my thinking. It didn't keep me from picking up more and more vices as I proceeded through my teen and college years. It, it didn't stop me from hurting people over and over again and treating people terribly and doing it while I called myself a Christian. But I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't. And I, I didn't get that. So uh, I really love the book of Jude. Here's this, this short little letter 25 verses long, it packs like incredible encouragement and just like stunning rebukes in a, in a real small package. Um, and when I was studying the Bible in college, it was reading through Jude that just confronted my heart. Jude 16 says, These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people, people for the sake of gaining an advantage. And, and this is hard to read now because word for word, that was me and that is me if I stop letting Jesus work on my heart. 
Like, that is naturally what I'll move right back into, and, and it's a perfect descriptor. And so I read that, and I'm like, why am I here in the Bible? <laughs> like, I don't want to be here. <laughs> and honestly, you know, so many people hate the religion of Christianity because there's people like me walking around that were calling themselves Christians and acting like this. Stumbling through life arrogantly, argumentatively, grumblyly. <laughs> and, and I just, I miss, I was doing my own thing, boasting about every accomplishment and missing the entire point of Christianity. So James 1.27 says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. True religion is amazing. When someone tells me, like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm spiritual, not religious, I'm like, no, you just don't know what, re- what religion is. Because this is not something to reject. This is good. This is amazing. And this true religion, like an actual view of the gospel, it just totally flips the script on everything. We say that, oh my goodness, sacrifice and service is more important than success. We say that humility is more important than influence. We walk around with the point of view that you are more important than me. In our, the way that we live our lives in every human a- interaction, we are supposed to look at the other person and believe you are more important than me. That's the basis of Christianity. You have Jesus who had all power and all authority come down to earth and just flip it over and say, no, I'm here to be slave to all. That confronts entitlement. That confronts our grumbling spirit. That confronts the way that we go around through life and argue. And it just says, no, oh my goodness. That's not how we ought to live. And it's not just that we can live this way. It's not like it's an option. It's a must. If we're really going to be Jesus followers, if we're really going to say that I'm taking on this guy's life as my life, this has to kind of bleed through our very soul and spirit. So I I became a disciple September 19, 2010. And, you know, some of those years have been hard. Some have felt easy. But each, I truly believe, has been the best year of my life since. And it's because God changed me. I didn't fix myself. I didn't figure it out. I didn't somehow come to some new realization that that worked on my heart. Instead, God changed me through his word, through other people living out his word, through people that, that shone like stars, that I looked at them and I'm like, there's something wildly different about this person. When I started coming around the church and, you know, my friend would bring me to, like, uh, different apartments of people that, that were in the church, I was like, who are these weird people? And it confronted me because they were caring and open and talking about their lives in a very real way and trying to hug me. And I'm like, why? Why would that be a thing? <laughs> but it is. 
right? Through the Word, through Jesus, God revolutioned my entire view of how I should look at the money that I have, the time that I have, the little bit of skill or ability that He might have given me. Like, He gave those to me so that I would help reconcile the world to Him. Wherever I am, whether it be out in this land or right here, it's cool. And you know what? I'm, I'm still a mess, but I get it now. The Christian message is more than God loves me and wants me to be happy. It's bigger than that. So I'd love to tell you that, you know, I got baptized and I ceased being entitled, um, but that's not true. And, you know, it's something that I continue to wrestle with and say, no, I don't deserve anything special. Um, I, I still, after graduating college, shortly after my baptism, like, I still expected to be financially well off. There was still just this stuff baked in that, like, I was like, yeah, you know, it's going to work out. And, and honestly, the situations around me were working out. I ended up with this really great consulting job in the city right out of college, um, I loved it. Things were going well there. They were talking about my future. I was like, okay, I've landed the career. Great. And now I can proceed and live my life. Um, And, you know, I think God works on our hearts the way that our hearts need to be worked on. So two months into that job, I was taking a train home, and I was working a little bit. Then I put my laptop up on the shelf because I was then reading. Uh, Then I got to my train transfer. I switched to my different train. I got home, reached up, no laptop. I left a laptop with all of this confidential <laughs> customer data just right on the train there. Um, and, and, you know, my boss called me. He's like, it's not a big deal. Like, we'll figure it out. It's okay. I ended up recovering the laptop. But that didn't stop him from a couple days later calling me and saying, like, you're done. <laughs> you don't work for us anymore. So, so here I am, you know, 22 years old, $155,000 in debt, no chance of making my, my, you know, rent, let alone this other massive bill, and terrified and scared. And instead of immediately relying on God as we are to be trained to do, all of these views of entitlement just came crashing down. And it was so confusing because life suddenly wasn't just working the way that it was supposed to work. But, you know, God had a plan. And through the situations that transpired, so much has changed that it just makes sense. We'll get into a little bit more of that. Um, So, yeah, we don't always get to pick where we're planted, right? At this moment, I thought this is where I was supposed to be, and it wasn't. But we always get to decide what type of soil we allow our hearts to be to cultivate the gospel. No matter where we are, we get to make that choice, and it matters. So... Uh, you know, a little bit after losing the job, I ended up with a job offer in St. Louis. Um, and I didn't want to move to St. Louis, uh, but that's where the offer was. And, you know, to give you a backdrop, here is the St. Louis Arch. And you know what? They love it there. It's, you put it on billboards. It, it is, goes into companies' names. Uh, there's regulations in the city that you can't build above the arch. Like, it is, it is the thing. And, you know, it's impressive. It's cool. It's been there. It's, it's a monument. You know, it makes sense. But, honestly, this is the way that we are trained to think. 
we, we build something big and nice next to us, and we're like, okay, this is good. Like, this gives me some value having this here. Um, and, you know, life at this point in time for me, it continued to get better. There was more and more opportunities, both at work and in the church. And I kind of kept enthusiastically stepping forward and being like, yes, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. Um, and so, you know, there was a lot that happened in my career that was really exciting. But with each step, with each opportunity, with each promotion, it came at the cost of a little bit more of my time, a little bit more of my heart, of my creativity. All of it continued to be like, okay, well, yes, this is good and that's worthwhile, but I will have to give up this little chip too, if that makes sense. Um, and at the time, Hannah and I, we started leading the Young Professionals Ministry in St. Louis, and like we loved it. It just made so much sense. It helped fix our hearts on a number of different issues. Like It was just awesome. But here I am working 60-plus hours a week, traveling a ton, plus trying to do 15, 20 hours of ministry a week. Like It just kept building. And I look back at this time period, and I wouldn't give it up for a second. I think God sustained me through that time. But at the same time, it wasn't sustainable long-term. And I had to make some very real decisions about where my priorities lied. Um, so there, <laughs> shortly around this time, Hannah and I, we had the opportunity to travel to Dubai for a work trip. And Dubai is a city like no other. It is the best that the world can put together, golden cars, the biggest everything, indoor ski slopes, like none of it makes any sense. <laughs> it's very impressive. Um, and I want to show you the Burj Khalifa, which is the tallest, tallest tower in the world compared to the St. Louis Arch. <laughs> right, like, you know, spending some time in St. Louis, it was embarrassing. It, it just dwarfs it. And, and when you're going up the tower in the Burj Khalifa, as you're in the elevator, it keeps showing you, like, oh, you just passed this building. Oh, you just passed the Empire State Building. You know, it, it's making it clear what's going on. And, and guys, this is how the world works. There's always something bigger. There's always something theoretically better. And even if you have the tallest tower in the world, there's dozens of other companies and investment firms that are actively trying to build a bigger one somewhere else. And, you know, it's really funny because we were out there and we were up there and we're in the top of this building and we're looking out and other skyscrapers look embarrassing that you're looking down upon them because they look so small in comparison. And honestly, the whole time while we were out there, the very best times that we had in the city was not at any of these impressive sites or, or cool things. It was the time that we spent with disciples. God isn't working this way. Instead, he's working in people's homes, around tables. The time that we spent with them, people took off from their jobs to, to make sure that we felt cared for and showed us around different places. This was the whole thing. Like, that was so amazing. And the time that we spent with them so great that it just totally reframed our thinking. Like, oh my goodness, God's family is more valuable than the best that the world can offer. Everything that I'm putting into my career that seems like it's really valuable and matters, it doesn't compare to this. It doesn't compare 
to what you and I get to experience on a weekly, daily basis when we are in fellowship with people that love us and care about us. It's, it's amazing. Um, so, so, yeah, while we were there, like we're in this great glamorous city, but here are these people that are shining like stars, giving their hearts to us, just so excited to spend time with other disciples. And it showed. It wasn't because they had impressive resumes or had some influence, although some of them did. It was because it was obvious that they had changed their lives to actually give their whole heart, mind, soul, and strength to God. And that was so clear that it just reframed our thinking. Amen. And honestly, this happened everywhere that I traveled. The time that I spent with disciples was the best part. Oh, the, nothing else was, was anything. It all just paled in comparison to that love. Um, and so this, one, this third couple here, uh, we Skype on occasion with them. It's the next slide. Um, this is Abaji and Rowena. And they took off the whole day to spend it with us. And like I said, we now Skype pretty much, you know, maybe once a quarter. When they come out here for Vision 2020, they're going to spend some time up in New Jersey with us first, and then we're going to go down to the conference together. Like, one day. One day to build lifelong friends. That's all it took. Because they gave their whole hearts to God, and we gave our whole hearts to God. It was cool. Um, and so, yeah, this, like I said, this opened a lot of doors for me. This kind of changed the way that we were thinking about how we used our time in our own local neighborhood. And what were we doing when people would come and visit? How did we treat them? All of this stuff. Um, about a year later, I gave up my professional job so that Hannah and I could go into youth and family ministry. And it was a really hard choice. I loved what I did. It wasn't like I was like, ah, you know, it's just too stressful and I hate it. Like, I, I really loved my job. Um, we gave up about six-sevenths of our salary <laughs> to go into the ministry. It was a different experience. And honestly, like, try and call me foolish. I've seen God transform people's hearts. I've seen him change the very way that I look at the world around me. It was worth it. Without question. And I'm not saying that we all go into the ministry. That's not feasible. But I am saying, don't let Satan lie to you. Don't let people convince you that your time, that your talent, that the ideas that you have, that your creativity belongs to them and the tower that they are trying to build. That doesn't matter in the long run. Your time is God. Your heart. Your time is God's, your heart is God's, your mind, all of it. He designed you uniquely to be in the circumstances and situations that you are in. You are the disciple that's right there in your local neighborhood, at your job site. He put you there because you have a special way of interacting with the people there that someone else can't. Don't lose sight of this incredible opportunity that we have to participate in the world but not be convinced of its thinking. We need to look at others as more important than ourselves. And it changes how we interact with the world around us. So, uh, in Isaiah 24 through 27, there's a lot of just really rich imagery. Because the, the prophet here is comparing the best that the world can come up with and 
the holy city of God. And often, this holy city of God is described as a mountain. Here is Mount Everest compared to the Burj Khalifa and the Arch. This, this imagery matters. It reminds us that God's creation mocks our own abilities. It absolutely changes the way that we think about things. And you know what? Maybe someday someone will build a tower that tall. But they will not build the kingdom of God. They will not build a holy mountain that we all get to participate in this magical holy city that extends around the entire earth, back and forward into time, that we get to have fellowship with people that we don't know by showing up and meeting them and hugging and being like, I love you. That is a really special thing that we are a part of, and it is exactly the city that God designed that mocks what the world can come up with. So yeah, like I said, this this image, it helps me make decisions. Am I investing in what God is trying to do with the world? Am I investing in his reconciliation of the world to him? Or am I just investing in this temporary human stuff that will fall, that will be someday small compared to something else that someone else comes up with? So let me read to you Isaiah 25, 2 through 9. You have made the city a heap of rubble and fortified town a ruin. The foreigners stronghold a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will honor you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall, and like the heat of the desert. You silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless is stilled. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, Surely, this is our God. We trusted in him, and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. And that holy mountain that it describes, it's in the future, but it's also right now. And it's so cool because it's available everywhere. It's available in New Jersey and Iceland and St. Louis and Dubai and Westchester. No matter where we go, all over the world, we get to participate in something different that God is doing to help change the entire world to look at him differently. And to look at the promises and be transformed by the promises and realize that God's not just looking after our happiness, but he wants to change our lives. He wants us to be different. He wants us to be like his son. He wants us to view other people as more important than ourselves and to live and die based on that thought. 
So grow where you're planted. Take hold of the local community right around you, your neighborhood, whoever it is, the people that you see at work. They're, they're there, and God has specifically designed you to be there with them. And so, yes, dreams are good. It's exciting to think about the future. But this is where we are right now. And this is what we need to invest our time and our hearts to right now. Philippians 2, 12 through 18. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. All those promises that we looked at, his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. What a funny phrase to throw in the midst of this pile. That matters. When we grumble, when we argue with one another, we cannot be these reformed spirits that God wants us to be. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Grow where you're planted. Thank you.